0: Alright, we are in part 7 of our series, Startled by Grace, and this morning we're going to talk about grace that endures. Um, When we're in a season where we're enduring something, it's it's not a season that's quickly over, Um, how God's grace is there in the midst of that. And so we're going to begin by looking at a story from the Old Testament. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. If you want to turn there and follow along, you can do that. We'll have it on the screen Um, But we're going to walk through the story of Naaman, the story of Naaman this morning. So we're going to pick this up in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria. Notice this is not Israel, Syria. He was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. A lot, a lot happened in that one sentence. Um, I mean, the truth is we could kind of just camp there this morning and get some incredible stuff out of it. I mean, here's a guy who's an outsider. He's not, he's not of the house of Israel. Um, he's an outsider, lives in Syria. In fact, Syria kind of had some tension with Israel. They, they were sort of in a period of kind of some uh, agreed upon um, peace but it was, it was tenuous. It was tenuous. They were kind of nervously looking at each other side eyed every now and then, you know, are we on the verge of, of, of war here? Um, and so, but at the moment there was relative peace between them. Um, but here's Naaman, an outsider and yet experiencing the grace of God. God had given him favor in his job. He'd given him victory. Um, But one of the things I just love over and over again about the Word of God is how real it is. In the midst of the grace and favor that Naaman was experiencing, he was still experiencing very real difficulty, very real trouble. You know, if we stopped right before the last three or four words there, everything sounded great. And then the word but shows up and he says, but he was a leper. He was dealing with this, this debilitating, disease that was affecting him um, that was there was no cure for it he was just in this ongoing way dealing with this leprosy was just tearing away at his body and so even in the midst of having some grace and some favor on his life life was hard I mean can you imagine being this faithful hard working guy before the king while dealing with this ongoing debilitating disease and that's the condition he finds himself in. And I just have to stop and say, if you don't hear anything else this morning, I just hope that you always understand this message, that God's grace is available to anyone in all seasons. Naaman is an outsider, a part of a people who were often the enemy of God's people, and yet God's grace was on his life. And even in the midst of difficulty and pain, God's grace in his hand was upon him. Don't ever let yourself believe the lie that you are unseen by God, that you're removed from his eyesight, that he doesn't care about what you're walking through. God saw Naaman and he cared. And God God works through some pretty unbelievable ways here in this story to reach into his life and to touch him with some more grace as he walked this road. And so the story continues. And this this little girl is amazing to me here that we find in in verse 2. So now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. So they had actually enslaved this girl. And she was working in the service of Naaman's wife. And this girl had compassion on her master. And she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, for he would cure him of this leprosy. So Naaman hears about this, and in verse 4, he now carries this message to his lord, to the king. And so Naaman went into his lord, and he says, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Now, you got to know something here. This is a desperate guy. I mean, you're a desperate guy if you're going to the king of your land, and you're so looking for, for some help that you're willing to bring just this story from a girl who's one of your enemies, saying there might be this random prophet that can help. I mean, how humbling must that have been for Naaman to go in before this king and request some time off to go try to track down this prophet who lives in the land of their sort of allies, sort of enemies. And he asks for help. He humbles himself and asks for help. And so the king gives his blessing. Verse 5. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, and taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, Sorry, I lost my place. When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Hey, no pressure. I mean, think about this. They're like politically on the razor's edge. And so here the king sends his beloved servant, sends some some money, some gifts along the way, and says, hey, no pressure, but cure this guy. And so the king gets that, and he reacts the way I would have probably reacted. Verse 7, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. He's thinking this guy's just trying to pick a fight. He knows I'm not going to be able to do this and we're going to be at war. He's, he's panicked. He's panicked. Now listen, so far in the story, you might feel like, man, what in the world does this have to do with me sitting here in a cafeteria in Tennessee? I mean, kings in Syria, they're taking slave girls. They're enemies with Israel. This guy's got leprosy. Like, what is this about? But listen, I, I hope that you can hear in this story um, how desperate life can be at times and how even intermingled it is, right? Like, this person's problem begins to affect this person's life and all of our difficulties and our troubles, mistakes that we've made. Um, illnesses that we have, man, it just gets in the way and it makes life messy and it gets difficult. And the circumstances that we face feel overwhelming. Things come our way and we just look at them and go, I can't handle that. Who am I? I'm not God. How how can I possibly deal with this? And this has been very real in my face again this weekend. You know, over, over the years of doing ministry, like there are just moments where tragedy strikes. And i got to tell you, the longer I've been a pastor and walk with people, I don't feel like any more of an expert when difficulty comes. I don't know what to do. You get those phone calls, you just go, God, I, what? What do we say? What do we do? Where are you in this? What can I possibly do in this? And we've got all these people in this story, they're just so uncertain. Naaman's desperate to see his condition change. You know, he's got a got a faithful employee who clearly thinks highly of him that wants to see him helped. We've got this king that he's coming to who's freaked out now. What, what happens if I can't help this guy? How much trouble could this bring on us? And, and so everybody just finds themselves in need of something that only God can answer and only God can handle. Well, the, the, the word reaches the prophet Elisha's ears. The man of God that this young girl must have been thinking about. Maybe she didn't even remember his name, but she knew there's a prophet in Israel. And so this story reaches Elisha's ears. And in verse 8, it says, When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel." How important it is before trouble comes knocking on our door to know who our God is. It's been heartbreaking for me over the years to see not only in my own life where I've struggled with this but to watch other people who wait until tragedy is at their door when difficulty is on like right there in front of their face to then cry out and wonder if there's help somewhere. It's hard enough when tragedy strikes to believe that God is somehow there in the midst of it. But man, if, if, if we don't know him and his incredible love, if we're not aware of his presence and his grace, how hopeless it is. But thank God that there's somebody like Elijah to say, there's hope. Here's the despair and the discouragement of the king. And he says, there's hope. There's a God in heaven and I believe in him. And let's cry out to him and watch him work. And so Naaman comes with his horses and his chariots in verse 9, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Verse 10, And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan River seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Now think about this. Naaman, this respected guy from Syria, he's so respected the king has sent chariots with him, money with him, gifts with him. He immediately had an audience with the king of Israel. The king of Israel meets with him. Elisha speaks up and it's like, okay, go there and see him. And he shows up at Elisha's house and Elisha leaves him on the doorstep. (laughs) Not only that, Elisha doesn't even come to the door himself. He sends a messenger. And so if that wasn't bad enough, You leave me on the doorstep. You won't come see me face to face. Now you're telling me to go wash in the filthy, dirty Jordan River. And if that wasn't enough, you tell me to do it seven times. Dude, I'm already covered in this. Why would I get in a filthy river with this skin condition? Like, think about all the things Naaman's thinking here. And so what happens? Verse 11, Naaman was angry and he went away. He was angry, and he went away, and he said, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. How often we know exactly how God's grace is supposed to show up? It's supposed to show up like this and work this way. See, Naaman was actually being offered the vehicle for his healing and the grace of God. But he wasn't able to hear it. He wasn't able to receive it the way he wanted to hear. Have you guys ever, ever heard the story of the guy that's in the middle of a huge flood and he was looking to escape it and he had to climb up on the roof of his house? And, and so he's on the roof of his house and he's getting desperate and the flood waters are rising and just keeps calling out to God, God, will you send help? And a few minutes go by, and here comes a little kayaker coming along, and they've got a little space in their boat. And they're like, hey, buddy, there's a little space in here. Why don't you hop in? I'll get you out. No, no, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Go on. Uh, help's coming. And he leaves. And he keeps praying some more. God, would you please send me some help? And then sure enough, here comes another, another boat that comes along, and there's a few people, in there looking to rescue And he rejects them, too. And then finally, as the waters are rising, Here comes the helicopter, and the helicopter's lowering the rope, and he's going, no, 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 it's all right. God's going to send help. He's ignoring all these vehicles that come his way. How often we do that? Like, God's bringing help our way in all these different places, but I'm looking for this specific thing. God, do it this way, in this moment, at this time. Grace that endures is able to see the difficulty and the hardship and the struggle that we're facing and trust that God is present in the middle of it and that he's there and he's providing help. And Naaman just can't see it. And I'm I'm so grateful for, for this story because I'm Naaman. So often I can't see it. I can't see God's grace that's available. And yet once again, somebody shows up in his life to bring some hope. And so here he is, frustrated, and he's angry. He begins complaining in verse 12. What about these beautiful rivers that we have in Damascus, the Abana and the Farpar? Better than all the waters of Israel. Why couldn't I wash in them and be clean? And he turns away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? The grace that endures needs friends. Needs friends. We need to be able to look at each other at times and say, hey, I don't necessarily get it, but man, God has spoken and he said he loves us and he's gracious and he's here. Hang in there. Andrew, hang in there. It's going to be all right. We need each other. We need the servant girl to say there's a prophet in the land. We need the friend that can come along and say, hey, God said it's going to be all right. Hang in there. I'm with you. Let's do this. And so through the encouragement of several people along the way, I love this. Naaman somehow finds the courage to say, okay, I'll give it a shot. I've been discouraged. I've been frustrated. I've been suffering with this for so long, but I'll give it a shot. And in verse 14, says Naaman went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. Seven times. I wonder how often we're just, we're just kind of hanging in there, doing that thing that's right in front of us that we know we're just supposed to be faithful to do. And it just feels like we just keep hitting that wall. We just keep hitting that wall. God, when am I going to break through it? Seven times. But I believe there is power in the endurance of Naaman. I wonder what all was was dying, was falling off as he was dipping himself. I mean, I can't help but see the picture of baptism in this. What, What river did John show up baptizing in? The Jordan River. Where did Jesus go to be baptized at the start of his ministry? The Jordan River. And here's Naaman seven times dipping in the river. I just, I want to encourage you this morning. When we're walking our road of endurance, there are times where the, the thing that God wants us to step into next, the new life, the new strength, the new thing he's going to do, it requires something old dying first. You know, that, this baptism, it's, it's this beautiful thing, right? What a pretty picture of just being washed clean. But like the first half of that involves some surrender. Can, can anybody remember? I, I remember I think I was 10 or 11 um, when I was baptized as a kid. There's something a little off-putting when your feet start to come up off the ground And somebody else is pushing you underwater. There's like an inherent thing that resists that. When I baptize people, I make them do like this. And I tell them it's to help plug their nose. It's really just to control their arms so they don't flail. Because there's a natural instinct that's just like, no, this isn't right. I'm not supposed to get shoved underwater. Death isn't right. Death hurts. It's painful. Yeah, we're going to face a real physical, literal death, but guys, we go through seasons of death in our life. But by God's goodness and His grace, those seasons of death are bringing about a new resurrection. But first, the old has to die. And I'm a little bit like Naaman. It takes me about six or seven times sometimes for it to fall off. But if if we'll endure, if we'll hang in there and trust that the Lord is doing something, he's faithful. And so Naaman seven times faithfully dips himself in the Jordan. And according to the word of the man of God, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Just like Jesus telling us, how do we come to him? With faith like a child. We're born again, childlike faith. But will we endure and trust that the grace of God will show up? So here's what what I want to do this morning. I want to take about 10 minutes or so. Because I don't want to leave us with just the visual of that story. I want to give us some practical things that we can do when we're in a season where we're trying to endure. And, and we're, we're waiting, we're trusting in the grace of God to show up. And, you know, we're hearing some encouragement along the way. We're even chasing some solutions that just don't seem to be there yet. And we're just kind of getting the end of our rope. Anybody been there? Okay, I'm glad it's not just me. I want to give us just hopefully some encouragement of how do we do that? How do we endure by God's grace? And so I want to start by looking at a story that Jesus told. It's a really interesting story. It's funny how um, some of the ways that he'll use as an example of how we pursue God. And so in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he tells a story. And he says specifically, this is a story about hanging in there with God and not losing heart. It's a story of endurance. And so in Luke 18, verse 1, it says, He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And so he said, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect when they cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily or assuredly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Jesus actually points to a crummy guy, to an unjust judge, and says the only reason he's giving in is because this gal wouldn't relent. She was persistent. And he says, now listen, our God's a good God and he loves us, but how much more should we pursue him with that unrelenting persistence? And so we, we see two things. We can think of these words as being the same, but they're not. First of all, we see repetition, repetition repetition. She came to him over and over and over again. She didn't give up. She leaned in for more. And secondly, we see persistence. She continued in that. She repeated persistently, continually, pursuing him. See, the the two keys to endurance are persistence and patience. Check this out. First of all, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. This is probably familiar to many of you. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Do, do you hear the energy behind that verse? There's like this growing sense of persistence or urgency. It's a persistence that doesn't stop, that doesn't let up. And in fact, instead, when it gets thwarted, It doesn't sit back and go, oh, this is hopeless. It leans in all the more and says, I'm going after it even harder. Okay, I asked. That didn't work. Okay, well, then let me seek it out. Let me just go see if I can find it. Oh, that's not working. Then let me pound on the door till I get an answer or breakthrough. Persistence, it doesn't stop. It requires patience. James 5, 7 talks about this. James writes and he says, "'Therefore be patient, brethren, "'until the coming of the Lord. "'See how the farmer waits "'for the precious fruit of the earth, "'waiting patiently for it "'until it receives the early and the latter rain.'" See how he uses a picture of a farmer? A farmer's doing something, right? A farmer plants the seed, he cares for it, fertilizes it, waters it, picks the weeds, But you know the one thing that farmer can't do? He can't make that thing grow. And he can't control the rate at which it grows. So there's a level of persistence. He sticks with it. But there's also a level of patience that just trusts and says, in time, this will produce fruit. That's how how we endure in God's grace. We pursue, we're persistent we hang in there and then we're patient because there's a whole lot going on that we can't control and we trust that he's working it out and that in his time fruit will be produced. Ian Bounds talked about approaching prayer this way and he described persistent prayer like this. He says it's a mixture of restless desire and restful patience. I love that picture. Restless desire, restful patience, and strength to hold on. Those are all contained in persistent prayer. Restless desire, restful patience and strength. That's what enduring grace looks like. So how do we do that? How do we have that tenacity and have that patience? How do we pray that way? Because see, in in every one of these scriptures and in this story with Jesus, there's there's a conversation happening. Jesus is not just talking about inactive patience. He's connecting communication with God to it. He says, you're praying. You're talking to the one that you want to receive grace from. I'm not a wallflower just kind of sitting here waiting for grace to happen at me. I'm talking to God about it. I'm seeking him for it. I'm asking him for it. And then I'm waiting and I'm trusting. I'm being patient that it's going to come. And so, how do we do this? How do we hear God speak into our situation? You guys familiar with, with a common phrase that's used um, that we, we pray according to God's will? You guys familiar with that phrase? Has that been challenging or confusing for anyone over time in your life? I mean, I, I've often approached that like, man, I just think this means there's some sort of very specific, exact way I'm supposed to do things. And I'm just on the hunt to find this perfect way that God has for me. And it's like a mystery to solve. It's a a puzzle I've got to put together. And I've got to get the pieces just right and in order. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you about how God intended for us to view seeking His will when we're praying and asking Him for help. Check this out. This is in 1 John 5, verse 14. Notice how he starts the verse. Now, this is the confidence. Is that how we typically feel when we're seeking God's will? Confident? John says this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of Him. It's been, it's been baffling to me over the years how this verse has been stripped of its power. We've turned it into this what-if Hedging in our prayers. God, I want this thing, you know, if it's your will. God, I'm hoping for this thing if you'll let me have it. And it's, it's like zapped our seeking of all of its power. It's just kind of this, this giant shrug. You know the little shrug emoji? It's just kind of giant. I don't know. Maybe. But God said this was intended to instill confidence in us. And if we're seeking Him and pursuing Him and we're trusting in His grace, we could be confident that it's going to be all right. Now listen, do I think that there is a secret will of God and there's counsel that's only known to Him and at times He wants to reveal it to us? Maybe now, maybe later? Yeah, sure. Do I think that's supposed to cripple us in the meantime? No. I am sure of this. If he wants me to know something, he'll tell me. I've got enough evidence in my own life and from Scripture that some people that didn't even want to hear what he had to say got found. I was just thinking about Gideon this morning. We were praying for something. I was thinking about Gideon. That bro's hiding in a cave. The last thing he wants is for God to show up with some direction. He's like, I'm pretty good hiding out over here away from my enemies. And God shows up and says, hey, buddy, here's what I want you to do. It's, it's not some mystery hunt that we have to go on, and until we get there, we're stuck. We can walk with a God who's faithful and who loves us and who invites us into a relationship with Him where we, we find this tension, this balance of, God, I'm asking for this thing persistently, and I'm hanging in there, and I'm believing it's going to come through, and yet I'm, I'm also just resting and finding some patience that, that you're gonna work it out and that you're doing stuff behind the scenes that I can't do on my own. I think sometimes we're, we're afraid of, of living in that tension, but God invites us into it. God invites us into that wrestling. And so I believe there's, there's a couple of, of um, tools we can use in that wrestling. And I believe it's learning to pray by the Spirit, and I believe it's learning to pray God's Word. That these two things work together to help us wrestle and to figure out what he's up to and what he's got going on. First of all, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. God's presence in my life is there to help me when I'm weak. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. I'm confused, I don't even know what to ask for here. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He understands even the deepest longings of my heart that I can't even quite put into words. I just know kind of that, them, that thing over there. God, do something. He searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. See how God's Spirit operates in the midst of this? And then Hebrews tells us that it's God's word that gives us direction and speaks clearly and divides right to the heart of the matter. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. See when the Holy Spirit can help me pray through those kind of groanings of God. I know I'm longing for something I can't quite put it into words. God's word also kind of speaks and helps reveal what's really going on. And see when we'll combine these two things together, it's incredible. I think all too often in the church, we've put them into separate categories. We've got large segments of the church that totally buy into man the presence of God is real and it's in He's in my life and his Holy Spirit is present with me. And somehow we, we move into this, this weird mixture of very experiential and emotional and detach it from the, the solidness of the Word of God and we, we get confused and we begin chasing things that maybe aren't even really Him. But then there's whole other sections that just go I'm going to just like break out these scriptures like they're just like a little prescription and I just sort of read it and then it'll happen. And I leave out the power and presence of God in my life. And so my prayer life becomes this kind of dry, dead thing where I'm just kind of repeating these words I've heard before. And it gets stale. But man, when the the Spirit of God and the Word of God come together and we let God's Word give, give words to our hearts and what we're crying out, we wrestle stuff through with God. There's power in that. This is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians when he says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Spirit of God combined with the Word of God. And then what does he tell us to do with that? Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all what? You see how this is connected? God's grace that's available as we're trying to hang in there and persevere. What I've always loved about this, if you, if you read through that passage in Ephesians, so much of the imagery God's giving us is armor that's defensive. It protects me and it defends me. But you know where the story changes? The story changes and gets offensive when we grab the sword and we start praying. And when we, when we see the Spirit of God in our lives and we begin to pray the Word of God and we see that come together, man, we start taking territory. And it might be slow and it might be steady, but we advance by his power in our lives. Am I willing to to operate in this place of tension? See, this this is a hard message to preach and it's a hard message to grab. Because if we're not careful, God's grace in hard seasons just becomes my effort and work to fight through it. But also, all too often, we can gravitate the other way and we just sort of, it's almost like a defeated resignation that I guess maybe someday God will show up and things will get better. But in the meantime, I'm just here and I'm stuck. And God says, no, come engage with me in this battle. I'm fighting on your behalf and you're stronger than you know. And so come take a stand and endure and see my grace in your life. And this this incredible wrestling begins to happen. See, if I'm going to pray according to his spirit and I'm going to let his word get inside of me, I'm I'm engaged in that process. And, you know, we have this imagery of God in the Bible where he wrestles with people. Have you ever noticed this? God shows up and Jacob wrestles with God, right? And he won't let go until he gets blessed. God shows up and, and has a conversation with Abraham and Abraham starts negotiating with him for Sodom and Gomorrah. And God keeps giving in. Moses pleads with him when he's fasting for God not to take out his anger on Israel. And God relents. Daniel fasts and prays for 21 days while there's there's war happening in the heavenlies to answer that prayer. Is God weak? Is that why he does that? Is God changing his mind? See, the problem is we've we've taken these biblical scriptures and we've boiled them down to boring, dead theology. And we'd rather have an argument about whether God is sovereign or I have free will instead of recognizing we have a loving father that wants to engage in real relationship with us. And he cares and he wants to touch our life and he wants to see us grow. I've got kids and you know what? When when my kid was a baby, I wasn't super tough on them. I was kind of like doing everything for them. Well, Amy was doing everything for them. (laughs) I occasionally showed up and snuggled with them a little bit. I did a lot for them. But you know what one thing I've I've learned that I do now, especially with my son Micah? I wrestle with him. Why would I wrestle with him? Is it just to help my confidence? Right? I can feel like a pretty big man today because I pinned him again. Yeah, what's up Micah? you don't stand a chance why do I do that I'm helping him grow he's learning his strength I give enough resistance where he pushes back I don't crush him sometimes I even let him win does that mean he's stronger than me not yet anyway we wrestle and it's helping him grow and I'm engaged with him and in that tension, in that wrestling, he's finding strength. Maybe he didn't know he has, and he gains confidence and he sees a dad that's right there face to face with him that loves him and cares about him and enjoys spending time with him. And see, I think sometimes we've been at places in our life where we were young and small and weak and we just saw God's grace radically show up and just carry us. And it was amazing. Man, I got saved. It was incredible. And then I walk with him for a while and I get discouraged when it doesn't happen the same way. But he's saying, hey, I want you to grow up. I want you to mature, not because you're on your own, because you're getting stronger. And I'm proud of you. You're growing. And he wants us to find new strength. And so he wrestles with us. If we'll wrestle with him. And instead of laying down and being defeated and quitting, realize there is grace to endure and God is maybe even allowing us to go through that difficult thing because it's going to be good for us who knows how radically Naaman's life was touched because of all of that stuff he went through can you imagine the stories he must have been telling about the God of Israel he thought he had grace before Man, what about on the other side of that leprosy God gives grace in hard seasons, in long seasons, in difficulty. He gives us strength to hold on. He gives us a restful patience that can trust in Him. And He invites us to engage with Him in persistent relationship to hold on and see what He'll do and to watch the grace of God show up in fresh, new ways in our life. That's grace that endures. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your incredible, gracious love. And God, it's a love that we don't always understand. God, sometimes when we're just too weak to even move, your, your love just shows up and it touches us and it carries us. God, at other times, your love lets us endure hard seasons because it's, somehow it's good for us, even if we can't see it in the moment. God, you're growing us. You're strengthening us. You're strengthening our relationship with you. We learn to trust you more and in deeper, surprising ways. God, I don't don't know the condition. I barely know the condition of my own heart sometimes. God, I definitely don't know the condition that all my friends find themselves in. But God, I know that your grace is real and it's present and it's available. And God, if we're in a a season that is good and has been life-giving... God, I pray we would find ourselves very assured of your grace. So, God, when difficulty shows up at our door, we know how to hang in there and endure and trust that you will be faithful. And, God, if we're just in it right now, or if one of my friends is in one of those seasons where they're just there right in the middle of it, God, I pray that you could do this work in their hearts. Lord, that you'd give, give the ability to just rest in you and be patient. you give strength for them to hold on and endure. And Lord, that they'd even find some strength to fight when they think ah, it's already been five or six times. God, you'd give them strength for that seventh time. That you'd let some of those old things die and help them step into some new resurrected life in you. Jesus, it's in your name and by your power that we pray. We thank you that you are the living word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are present and alive and with us. And you help us take hold of the word of God and engage in a life-giving relationship with our Father who loves us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.